Welcome to The Look Back, the newest podcast hosted by former journalist turned media executive and host Keith Newman. The Look Back provides insights, tips, and maybe a few laughs during a free-flowing conversation on that roller coaster ride that reflects the past, present, and future of the Silicon Valley and tech economy. Hey, so welcome to The Look Back. Look who we have here, Kathy Colder. The, uh, hey, Keith. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Look at that. Is that a photo or are you really out in the uh, in the uh, Arizona desert, it looks like? That's my beautiful Arizona desert background. So everybody knows, you know, that this is my chosen retirement zone. Kathy, this, I don't know, man, that looks almost mind altering kind of stuff out there. If you get a sunset like that. That's beautiful. Um, and we, you are too. It's great to see you. It's been too long uh, you're moving down to Arizona. But um, hey, for the people who we're going to share this with, let me do a quick uh, setup for you about a little bit of background, and then we'll get into some Q&A. Is that okay? That's great. So I always call you, Kathy, the queen of computer retailing. Going back to my days at Computer Retail Week and CRN, um, obviously, as a co-founder of Fry's Electronics back in the 80s. You had some um, tech industry experience prior to that and joining with the, the Fry's family who, who were into groceries and didn't want to go into groceries. Although groceries are pretty hot still these days, we need them. But uh, you got into the idea of, of selling computers and merging a little bit of what you learned in the, uh, in the grocery food retailing business with what you knew in the technology industry business, forecasting a little better growth for technology at the time than um, fruits and vegetables. So you went down that path and you brought it to the masses in a big way. You decided, hey, let's open these large uh, footprint kind of stores and stock the shelves really high with tech products, both on the consumer electronics side, the personal computer side, and then throw in a few aisles with magazines and, and chips and sodas and, and things like that. And people just went nuts for it all. You, were, you located in the... Um, in the epicenters of where a lot of the high-tech industry um, were, were opening up, which was a lot of Silicon Valley, but also transitioned across the Bay Area to Southern California and, and on and on. He ended up with something like 35, 36 stores. Um, in the middle or, or, or mid to late period of your career at Fry's after so many uh, phenomenal years, you ran into a little bit of an e-commerce, you know, whipsaw chainsaw that had something to do with Amazon, but also had a lot to do with just the whole channel of uh, adjustment, a little um, digital transformation where a lot of people were trying to figure out what was going to happen with computer retailing, meeting e-commerce, the technology was changing at light speeds, all bunch of whole bunch of different players. There were there were tax advantages given to a lot of the electronic retailers also. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit long-winded with my intro here, but there's so much to cover in your industry. I guess, the, let, let me bring it to a little bit of a close and get into our discussion. All of that said, it uh, you stepped out of the business, what, what has it been, a year or two ago? Two. Mm -hmm. Two years. You stepped out, but, but just recently, Kathy, and it's coincidental, I mean, I wanted to talk to you for a while for this podcast, but um, you're a hard woman to pin down with all those tea times. But I <laughs> wanted to say, it, I know it was a little bit challenging for you because of the announcement to shut down the stores. And I mean, it fries as an electronics retailer 
had a had an enormous footprint as a major force in the evolution of Silicon Valley. It had a huge footprint. So it wasn't just like, oh, we lost a chain store of, of some limited uh, note. Everybody knew who Fry's was. And not only in California, and not only across the country, but worldwide. You, you changed the world of computer retailing and the adoption cycle of, of computers being uh, um, bought, but also how they were sold. And it's phenomenal. So catch me up. First of all, how bad did I screw up that, uh, that background? And, and how are you doing? So that was <laughs> so sad for me to see Fry's go and just in a real personal and I think iconic way. Because as you mentioned, Fry's was iconic for so many years. I think we were the first ones that were really focused on selling to the techie customer. And we were selling to the techie customer before people realized what that meant. And when we started, the chips to chips motto we had was, was really embraced. That was when everybody sat around eating potato chips and building their own computers. And that's how we got in there. And so I think that's why we became known Nerdvana for a long time. And I think you jumped around over to where, you know, kind of why things progressed like they did to the close down. And I think sadly, um, we didn't anticipate that there would be these tax breaks that never even the playing field for a long time. You know, we bought, uh, we bought Siberian Outpost and Egghead back in 2001, both of those. And yeah, and those were both located in states where we did not have stores and we made the conscious decision to close them and bring them in to be part of Fry's and Fry's.com, that that would be what eventually became Fry's.com. We kept SiberianOutpost.com and Egghead.com for a long time, but we anticipated the government evening out the tax, you know, we didn't think that the states would want to keep that loophole open for so long. And it was over 16 years before the states even started closing that. So that's a long time to be six to 10% disadvantaged on products that have less than that as a margin. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that chipped away at the sales for years and years, you know? And so I think if we made one miscalculation, it was in not keeping those entities separate in keeping them so that they could have competed on a level playing field. And I think, um, but I don't think retail was gonna last forever anyways. I mean, you look at it even in grocery stores, you know, people still buy a ton of groceries in person, but I think if you go in any grocery store today, you're bumping into all the people that are buying the shop carts and you can barely get through some of the aisles because everybody's shopping online. And so I think that's kind of the way of the world in general, just like newspapers went away and publishing um, has changed to be online. And I think that was another thing 
in retail that became really difficult and not just for us as electronic retailers, but for everyone out there in retailing is that when newspapers, magazines were around, there was a straight, you knew where to advertise to reach your customers. And that allowed the customers to know when to come in. And so you could help your marketplace and tailor your sales by knowing where to advertise. I think with the advent of so much stuff going online and the downfall of newspapers, we lost newspapers in a bunch of our markets. So just um, Kathy, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much you meant to newspapers as an advertiser and vice versa. Yeah, and the, so we were in nine states with the 35 locations and in that, we were the largest advertiser in every newspaper throughout there. But there was still a bunch of other newspaper people that were advertising. And little by little, um, starting probably hmm, 10, 11 years ago, yeah. paper by paper were going under because they couldn't support it. And yeah. a lot of times and you would, like Fries was a fully advertiser. It was Fries and yeah. Wendy's or something. Yeah, I think I think by the tail end of it, it was because like that just went away. Classifieds were gutted by things like Craigslist and right, and but our customers because we really did have that techie focus, engineering focus, and those were the markets we were in. They weren't getting the newspaper, they weren't reading the newspaper, they were looking in other places, and that was a pretty tough thing to figure out. Is where do you advertise to those people and how do you? I think that's settled down more in the marketplace, but I think there were a bunch of years in there where that was pretty difficult because, you know, our newspaper was the reason people got the Friday papers mm-hmm. was to see what's the weekend at it price. Yeah. And can I pick up my uh, hot dog for a quarter and my, uh, my soda? We do a special giveaway and all that. Yeah. Stuff. You know, our, our anniversary sales were probably epic. You know, so many people um, and probably one of people's favorite memories is a hot dog and a Coke for a quarter because that, and we, we had tons of people come in for our anniversary sale for that. Kathy, it's so funny. I mean, I remember being like in number 100 in line at some of these stores to buy my, you know, hard drive, a magazine, some other crap. I go, I can't believe I'm waiting in line to buy this stuff. I'm a hundred people deep. And uh, maybe you had, you had that many registers open, it seemed like too. Yeah, we had 50 to 80 registers in a store. And, but the <laughs> single line, you know, the single line was another famed thing to the engineers that they loved because nobody felt like they were getting short shifted by having the wrong line. You know, everybody always gets upset. I'm in the wrong line. I picked the wrong line. Well, and you merchandise all <laughs> along the line too. So I'm grabbing shit as I'm waiting in line too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> all <laughs> all kind of yeah. all kind of tchotchke stuff. Yeah. All the great tricks and made a few of your own. Um, and we we just marveled all the time when we would go into the stores. But now I gotta ask. So now Given what you've seen now, and I know you're still a very active watcher of that, what would you maybe have been able to do differently um, to change the trajectory of, of, the, of the evolution? Like I mentioned, keeping Siberian Outpost slash Egghead slash Fries.com oh, okay. in its own separate 
deal so that it online did not have that tax burden, the sales tax burden to charge. And um, I think that would have changed the growth pattern on that dramatically. Because for us, because we were charging tax, I think people ended up using our dot-com business as how to order and pick up same day. Okay, um, I, I got you on that. We'll maybe ask you that um, for another example or two later, but there's too many fun stories over the history of, of what you did from the days of, hey, can we really make it with our first store there in Sunnyvale area and Fremont area and all those uh, early competitors that you, you jostled with um, right, the uh, whole earth and uh, ACP and bike. Oh, gracious. And then we had computer land business land, which people don't even, you know, recognize. Radio Shack, all, all of them left the field, you know, many, many years ago. But what are some of the funny uh, memories you have looking back to, to those earlier days? I think one of them, um, probably our first one was when we opened and we had a computer printer cable, an IBM PC to printer cable for $19.95. And no one had ever seen one for under $100. <laughs> and, and I remember when I went to buy those before we were opening, the guy wanted, told me if I bought 100, he'd charge me $5 a piece. But if I bought 500, he'd charge me $2 a piece. And so I'm like, they're $2? <laughs> so I said, okay, great. So I thought it would be great if we sold them for $69. But John Fry says, no, 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 no. We have to make a mark in the market. So we put $19.95. We sold out in the, we had 500, which I thought were going to last us a month. We sold out in the first hour. <laughs> and <laughs> of being open, it was beyond the most popular item I could imagine. And there were always things like that that we didn't anticipate would be that dramatic, you know, I, I know our diskette sales in the early days were legendary because these were all consumables that people went through so fast. And so we would suddenly have hundreds of people coming in with an ad for an item like that. Yeah. I think maybe my favorite early memory um, in the industry was when I was out on our store floor and all of a sudden I recognized Bill Gates uh, walking around looking at our products and so I walked up and introduced myself because I had never met him and he's holding a copy of C++ and he says to me so what are you doing with these and I said well selling them <laughs> he said no you're selling more product in this location, then I'm selling in a hundred or 200 other locations for some of the chains. Right. He says, why are you selling so many? Who are you selling them to? And I said, individuals. And right then it was a kind of lunch hour time. Two guys walk up and each grab one and a third person walks up and there wasn't another one on the shelf because Bill was actually holding it. And he <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling where this goes. <laughs> and so the customer's like, do you have any more? And I said, well, we're waiting for our shipment. It should be here later today. And so I turned to Bill and I said, well, you're probably not going to buy that, are you? Can I sell it to him? 
And the customer says, we autograph this. And Bill said, I, I'm not sure I've been asked for an autograph before. And he autographed his C++ copy. Oh, and can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the early days. We would have people just wander in. Well, it's funny, too, because there's a level of, I said at the beginning, how you educated the industry, you educated the executives of their own companies. And I know you have a lot more stories because of our history where you could talk about, you know, the apples of the, of the world and, and all the uh, IBM and just all the computer makers. And they, yeah. and they came from international as well to basically learn computer merchandising from you and from Fry's. And I got to tip my cap because a lot of people don't realize you ran the merchandising buying for Fry's early on and, and did a lot of that and ended up doing about everything at the company over time also. Yeah, that's that's how you define entrepreneur, I think, yeah. <laughs> is you do all that. Yeah, in the early days, um, nobody really knew how to package stuff because they were only used to having a business land or computer land where people would make an appointment, go in and buy a computer and then the computer service person would come and install it for them. It was, even though it was a personal computer. Right. So people didn't even know that boxes needed to look like something. So I worked with everybody in the early days to put packaging together. You know, I told the printer people, no, no, no. I want to put these out on the floor in their packages so people will buy them. And today it seems completely normal to walk in and pick up any of that. But that was, that probably took eight or 10 years. The first eight or 10 years, it probably wasn't until the mid nineties that people were used to um, knowing they needed retail packaging so the customer knew what it was. Those early days, Kat, there were a lot of Ziploc bags with, uh, with, <laughs> with little post-its on them with pricing and shit like that. It made- oh, We had to print our own cake. labels. It made supply chain management kind of a challenge too. <laughs> well, and when we bought the chips, all the components to buy things, there was no packaging and everything. We did our own packaging on those for years where we had people just sitting with the tiniest little baggies <laughs> stapling right. on price tags. There's so many, so many great stories, Kat, so many memories. How about in that period of time where you know, you guys ruled both Comdex and CES um, as a player in consumer electronics, as well as computer technology stuff. Um, what, what do you think about in, in terms of that period of time? Well, that grew from our customers really felt confident in buying other electronics from us that once they had bought a computer from us, mm -hmm. especially because when we were originally selling monitors that people could then put together and use to watch television, that was a big change in the industry. And getting our consumer electronic manufacturers to realize that we needed integrated items that could cross over yeah. um, was a great thing that happened in the industry. And so we would go to CES and Comdex and meet with everybody um to oh, try and figure out they would die to meet with a buyer and then oh my gosh if i get to meet with kathy and john or randy and but there there was quite a demand for your uh time on your schedule because like you said earlier you represented a, a significant 
percentage of their sales, um, but they also had more flexibility to try things with you versus some of the other. Right. A lot of with you. Yeah. We started with what I call demo days early on, <clears throat> where we would invite the product managers and the people who had designed the products to come in and show it off and demonstrate it. And eventually we were running them over, live streaming them to all the stores, you know, where they would come in and ask questions. But we had hundreds and hundreds of people come in to find out about all the new products, you know, first hands-on, see how it worked. Because for them, they weren't at CES or Comdex. They didn't have that ability to see the latest and greatest tech. So we would show it off in the stores live by the people who had designed it. And that was a real popular thing for many years. Yeah, I could go on with asking you a bunch of questions about the olden days. And this is kind of fun for me. I also want to make it kind of pertinent to today because um, obviously we're in a different era, but we're also in a different era in terms of women and leadership issues. And I know you were also among your other titles and hats that you would keep switching around. It was HR and it was hiring and personnel, which was a really challenge. You took it upon yourself to, to bring about a diverse pool of employees. You could speak to that for a sec. And then also you as an executive female in retail, early days of tech, I mean, when people don't recognize is, I mean, it was probably a rare day when you had an executive meeting, there was another woman sitting across the table with you to negotiate a deal. Um, and pretty only, much for most of my career. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. And then what are you seeing changing today? So give, give me some thoughts on that. So speaking to the diverse populace, we hired all kinds of people who were new in the country and um, had work programs with a number of agencies that would allow new immigrants and mostly the refugee immigrants from war-torn countries that had come into the US to work for us. And I worked with a lot of the different State Department people on those things to bring them in and train them so that they could gather skills and you know, create a life in America. And um, it would just create diverse workforces in all of our stores. And I think at one time in one of our stores, we had 57 different countries represented among oh, three, 300 it's, people. <laughs> and this is probably in the 90s, right? Am I, am I, yes, in the 90s, yeah. Amazing. And then now speak about, uh, I mean, this is actually Women's International Day, right? Uh, it was, was last a week, week ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's celebrate a little bit. I mean, um, what an amazing accomplishment, so much more to be done. Um, but a salute to you as a, like a female executive in the, starting in the 80s where you were running the business and there were yeah. maybe a handful of other women because I was a reporter back in the day too maybe there were a handful of other women that were running their own companies. What was it like? Give me a, give me a picture of how you would uh, use it to your advantage or how it became a disadvantage too. I think one of the things I always tell women is humor is the best advantage because a lot of times 
you can ruin the business relationship by talking straight out about how rude or obnoxious or awful (laughs) (laughs) comments would be. Whereas if a lot of times if you used humor, you could help educate and gain the respect of the people you were talking to so that hopefully the next time they dealt with a female, they would consider them an equal, more or less. And I think I worked very hard at knowing that I had that role and that placement because it was true. Most of the people I dealt with, there was not a woman in the room. There was not a woman in their executive ranks. A lot of the tech companies didn't have a lot of females for a really long time. And so I was always talking to people. And I think when things would get maybe too off color, I would just stop meetings and say, if your daughter was here, would you want to be saying these things? And if you would, I don't really want to be in this meeting. So, you know, it, I was going to say, you were not really known as the docile type either, Kath. You you would occasionally uh, uh, have a reputation with some of being a very tough, not only negotiator, but, you know, business person. And I think that's kind of, you can, so you can use human. I know you do and did very well, very effectively, but you knew where to draw the line too, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. You had to. And, and, you know, we had a lot of women we brought through the ranks um, in uh, who's a lot of them started with a second, you know, they were a second job in their family, still raising kids. And we worked really hard to tailor their hours and things so that they had that opportunity to work. You know, retail was always big for that. And I think that's one of the great things about online uh, being able to work remote is that people can raise their families. Jeff, that's awesome. I know we're already going up, up against time, but um, I, I'd like to just throw it open to you too. Um, such an amazing career. And, you know, it's also, I, I know mother of two and uh, enjoying life down there in Arizona. What, if you were kind of thinking about a, a start today, like you were say, let's say a young gaucho graduating college. <laughs> <laughs> what would Kathy go into today as a career, as a as an area? Because again, I can't go into all the detail, but you've had so much breadth of experience. You've done so many different things um, from the perch and fries and, and beyond. What would what would kind of get your attention these days? What are the things that you go, I wish I, I could go run that company or or go in that industry? And this is assuming I decided I wasn't going to go off and be a wine distributor because I really think had I known about that, well, I also know that you would both... have been my first choice of careers. <laughs> I, I know you would still, but uh, I also know you're smart enough to realize where the wine industry is today and how challenging that is. Yes. So I think no, wine and, and, and computer retailing off the table for right now. Yes, I, I um, <laughs> probably something like Salesforce. Mm-hmm. where you're working with a lot of other businesses and mentoring, because I think out of everything I did, I enjoyed the mentoring part um, with the businesses, with the vendors on every different level, 
you know, teaching them how to package things. Um, I think because I was a woman teaching them how to have better HR business personas. And so I think that that's what I would be looking at starting in if I was starting today, because it's so interesting to me to be able to touch all the different parts of a business. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, it's interesting too. While there's a lot more development, we see a lot more women in executive ranks. Um, and I think it's fantastic. I also feel like there's room for something at the board level still where active board can take a look down and, and see how things are being done from a, um, a equity standpoint. Um, not, not talking about stock, but talking about how um, roles, responsibilities are shared and uh, people's skills are developed and people are trained to do different things. I mean, look at what you were able to do with Fries, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really strong point because people don't realize, I think one of the things that you keep hearing during all of this pandemic time about working remote is the percentage of women that are still having to run all of the children issues and the schooling while still trying to maintain their career. I think something that's not talked about is that's always been the case in the working world. You know, my, I was mostly a single mother and, you know, that burden of the kids schooling and everything else while being an exec was very real all the time. And I think one of the things that boards probably don't understand is that challenge, is how do you get those bright and brilliant minds of the women in the workplace when they're challenged at home? And if they really are honest and talking about, hey, I need to leave Wednesday afternoons for blah, 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 kids soccer practice or school teacher meeting, a lot of that is still a very tough call in the working world that men are not having to do. And, and not thinking about how to solve that problem within the organization of let's right. say a billion dollar software company. I think you would have been active in trying to figure out how to solve that metric we just talked about of women having to leave the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was a big challenge at Fry's, you know, at our peak with 15,000 employees. <laughs> A lot of them were women and a lot of them had those issues and we really worked on it. So yeah, that's a, it's still a great challenge and something that still needs to be done. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll let a few people know you're back. You're looking back. No, seriously. What do you, <laughs> I'll skip that, that line. What do you uh, miss the most about not going into your office down there in San Jose um, and used to be Palo Alto uh, used to be a few things, but anyway, uh, what do you miss the most about walking into the office every day and, you know, the white shirts, the lineup of people wanting to meet and the, the, the scaffoldings full of uh, boxes and all kinds of people that need to talk to you, all things going on at 36 stores around the country. <laughs> you know, there's a level of energy and excitement of that. And I think throughout my career in the tech industry, technology always moves so fast and retail moves really fast. And 
that's exciting. That level of energy to always have, there's something new, something changing, and we have to figure it out and solve it is a really energy inspiring daily go get them thing that you don't really get just going to the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while you get that. Oh, it, it was energetic, but I'm going to say something too, and not to, not to get, you know, too dour here on our final points, but you brought the energy, you know, you, you, and I saw how I was able to, to kind of have a little bit of a, a, a behind the scenes view at, at a certain point and saw how people, when you came into the room, they, they like popped up and they were excited and you really developed an unbelievable relationship with not just a few people, but, you know, across the whole company because of your experience. And uh, it's really a great testament. I think a lot of, a lot can be said about executive, um, not by just the runs they put up on the board through sales and other business uh, highlights, but uh, how their employees view them. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, a real big point because in retail, you have a lot of closer to home and maybe you have so many less executive level people that you're managing that the problem level is much more a part of their daily life than I would say high and high level executives have. And one thing we always did that I personally always did was let them know that I had their back. I always had their back, you know, and that we had two kinds of mistakes, honest mistakes and dishonest mistakes. And an honest mistake, if you made it and you admitted to it, um, you could learn from it and go forward. Now there might be training, there might be other things that might happen, but you would go forward. But a dishonest mistake, there wasn't any way to get out of that because there, you've closed the door on learning and or it's illegal, something. So for our people, it allowed them to realize that mistakes are gonna be made and let's be honest about it and grow. And I think that gave me a different reputation throughout the company. Yeah, I think so too. Um, our next uh, episode with Kathy, it's going to be called Dishonest Mistakes. And we're <laughs> going to dig into all the stories. No, because <laughs> there oh, is one there. But, uh, yeah, there's stories. <laughs> I don't know. We may have to save that for Hollywood to come interview you or something to, to get that story out. But Kathy, I, I, think, I think it's that, on reality TV now. <laughs> is it? It should be. We, every, everyone always joked there was going to be a movie that, that focused on fries. I still haven't seen it and I'm too busy still to write it. But um, I just want to say thanks for your time. Always great to catch up with you. And I hope we can tee it up soon and, and, and maybe do this again as well. Yeah. Enjoyed it, Keith. Thank you. All right. This special podcast series is sponsored by Estrella.com. If you need cap table software, check them out at Estrella.com. And SASMAX, for those SaaS companies looking to build the optimal channel of partners and resellers, leverage the best platform out there at SASMAX.com. Check out articles, podcasts, and subscribe and share 
at www.newmanmediastudios.com.